Hello, and welcome to Dungeon Talk, the general advice and discussion podcast from D&D Academy. I am Michael, and this is Dungeon Talk, episode number 40, Roll20.next. Not my best work. Sorry about that. Kind of short notice. But in this episode, we pretty much talk about next, and we also talk about Roll20, so it kind of fits. Just, just give me this one. So anyway, Jared, who you may remember, he played Wang for a couple sessions way back when we first started this, we did the Made Men podcast. He is an avid user of Roll20.net. We are not affiliated with him. We have no contracts. We don't get paid. We don't advertise none of that stuff. But Jared just really likes the site. He uses it all the time. He has multiple games that he's in each week, whether it be as a DM, as a player. He has a subscription to the service, so he actually pays the fee to get some additional tools. Uh, he just loves the site, and so we asked him to come on and talk about it, what it is he likes, how he uses it, just some sort of introductory stuff for maybe someone who's thinking about jumping into a virtual tabletop or have looked at that one in particular. And then we also we actually start the podcast talking about the, um, I guess, leak is the right word. There was some information that was posted on Barnes & Noble's website for just a few minutes. I guess it was pretty quickly taken down, but if, as the Internet is wont to do, someone screen captured it and then sent it out. But there was some information about D&D Next, or 5th edition, as I think it's now being called. Some information about their release. This Barnes & Noble website indicated that in the middle of July, there would be a beginner's box with a suggested price point of $19.99. And then in August, there would be a player's handbook release with a price point of $49.99. So we talk a little bit about if that's accurate, what it means, and give a little bit of prediction on what we think is actually going to happen. So anyways, that is what Dungeon Talk 40 is going to be about. I don't have any new reviews to read, so there are no new reviews on Stitcher or on iTunes. So again, I just encourage you guys, if you are fans of the show, or as I like to call you listeners, when I say fan, it kind of makes me feel like a D-bag. But if you're a listener to the show and you want to give us some, some support, tell some people about us, try to help publicize the show, give us a review on iTunes, give us a review on Stitcher, go to our Facebook page and throw us a like. And then, obviously, RPGpodcast.com still continues to be by far the number one way that people seem to be finding our show. We have steadily moved up the leaderboard. We are now, I believe, in seventh place overall, up around 360 recommends at last check. We only need like 50 or 60 more to jump all the way into fifth place. So if you feel so inclined, if this is a show that you would recommend to someone, then please go to RPGpodcast.com, search for our show. You can easily find the last 10 podcast. I think you can actually find all of them, but if you search this by name, the, the, the last 10 come up first. You can recommend all of them. If six people did that, that 60 recommends, bam, we're in fifth place. All right, enough begging. On to the show. Here is Dungeon Talk, episode number 40, Roll20.next. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining me tonight. This will be Dungeon Talk 40, I think. Hard to believe wow. that we, we, I know, it's, uh, I look back and go, what the frack were we thinking? <laughs> uh, but there's just a couple topics that we wanted to cover tonight. The first thing I want to talk a little bit about was uh, some next news. And uh, I think we're, we're probably a week behind. I've already heard this topic covered on a couple other podcasts. But in case you missed it, there was a quote-unquote leak 
on the Barnes & Noble website for just a few hours. It was obviously someone found it, screen captured it, sent it out, and went kind of viral, I guess. It had some release information about the, the fifth edition release dates and information about the books that were coming out. I think they've kind of dropped the next moniker now. I don't think, I think it's just been refer, referred to as, as 5e. But it indicated on this Barnes & Noble website that there would be a beginner's box that would be available in July for around $20, and then that the player's handbook would be released in August for around $50. So right off the bat, there's been some rampant speculation about, A, whether this is accurate, and if it is accurate, what does that mean? Traditionally, D&D has, has always been sort of a three-book core system. you got a player's handbook, a DMG, and a monster's manual, so if each one of those books is going to be $50, you're looking at an investment of 150 bucks for the new iteration of Dungeons & Dragons. And how does that compare to some of the other games that have come out more recently as far as quality and, and cost? So I, I want to separate those issues. I want to start with the beginner's box. For either of you, do you have any thoughts on that? So I think, for me, $20 price point for a beginner's box is a good deal. I mean, I, I was actually surprised it would be that low. Obviously, we have no idea what would be in it, if anything, but just compared to some, to some of the other things like the Pathfinder Banner Box, the Edge of the Empire Beginner's Box, uh, $20 is, is lower than both of those, I believe, assuming that you're getting you know, equitable value. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about that from a price point? What do, you, what do you hope is in it? What do you think might be in it? Just what are your initial thoughts? Jared, I know you haven't really kept up with Next as much, but do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I'm not usually one that, that buys the beginner boxes. I usually just go in blindly and just buy the books and, uh, you know, start chugging out my own stuff. So I don't really know whatever comes in the beginner's box, to be honest with you. So I don't really know what I would even hope for. <laughs> Hopefully some tokens, a, a, uh, a module, uh, and, uh, you know, some character sheets or something. And, you know. So you're the atypical, you just buy the book and move on? You're not really well, the yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, guy? The fourth edition, I bought the GM's Guide, the, the Monster Manual, and the, the Player's Handbook little booklet for the day it came out, and was all excited, and I, I think it's sitting on your shelf collecting dust and holding paper. Yeah, actually, I do still have your your yeah. four sets, so you're welcome to it anytime. You know, so, I yeah, yeah some, some people got to learn the hard way, so I don't know what I'll do this time. So, yeah, beginners, a beginner's packet sounds like a probably a more feasible option this time. So, yeah, well, for the, uh, for the fourth edition, what I did is I had pre-ordered them on Amazon, and then two days before they were supposed to be released, I was happening to be in a bookstore in a mall, and they had them out. They weren't supposed to, but they did, so I just went ahead and bought them right then and right there. So then I had a second set that came through Amazon, and I think I don't, I don't think I have two full sets, so I must have either given away or sold or something the other set. But, yeah, I was so anxious about getting my hands on those that I actually bought a second copy so I could just have them two days earlier. Um, so, so I'm kind of in your boat. Uh, what about you, Caleb? Are you a fan of beginner's boxes? Do you have any thoughts about the next version or what you expect or would want to see in one? In general, beginner's boxes are great for beginners. And I think the average player like you or me or anybody doesn't need a beginner's box because... We know how to play a role-playing game. And most of the time, beginner's boxes are skewed towards very, very new players or people that have never picked up uh, a set of dice before. That being said, um, I almost think like the jump to 5th edition 
is going to be kind of drastic. Because, I mean, we know there was a huge shift from 3 to 4. Um, and with all the playtesting that's been going back and forth, no one really knows what to expect from FIP. So I think if this information is accurate and a beginner's box comes out at a very low price point and it's going to give us the typical items of a module and a couple pre-made characters, maybe some tokens, a stripped-down player's guide with spells and stuff, I think a lot of people are going to jump on that just to know what the hell to expect out of the actual book when it comes out. Kind of for once, I think the 5th edition beginner's box, if it does exist in the context that this leak implies it might, I think there's going to be some actual hardcore serious players jumping on it just for the sake of knowledge, if nothing else. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, th I actually think it's a pretty smart marketing move because, you know, 5th edition, some people love it. I'm a fan. There's some people that hate it. There's people that are very bitter, some of the, you know, the 4th edition faithful that feel kind of betrayed by Watsy that they they had an edition that they really liked and all the support's been taken away. So I think having a very low cost cuz $20, I mean that's that's a movie. That's you know, that's not a big investment for a beginner's box that's probably going to have a pared down rule set. We'll probably have a, a brief module introductory adventure, probably have those pre-generated character sheets that like you said it's you're going to get people that are like okay for 20 bucks I'll take a look and hopefully that will then turn into them buying the core books which I'm assuming you know again higher price point there's going to be a little bit more return on investment so I think it's almost kind of like a supermarket selling milk for below cost but they put it in the back of the store so that you got to walk all the way through there and you'll hopefully end up with a bag of Oreos before you walk out <laughs> so I think it makes a lot of sense and for me I'm actually kind of a fan of beginner boxes I you know, I, I'm not a big 4th edition fan anymore. I, I kind of soured on it a little bit. But I have very recently bought the 4th edition beginner's box that came out so that I'll have it because I'm kind of a weirdo like that. But also, I can see 4th edition being a good introduction, introductory game that I might start with my kids because I think it is, in some ways, the, the combat's very simple. It's very, uh, you know, less focused on the role play for me. Same thing, I bought the Edge of the Empire beginner's box. I really liked it. It came with a set of dice, which was cool because that uses its own special dice. And then I went out and bought the core book. I bought the Pathfinder beginner's box just so I would have it. I bought the... So I get I'm I'm kind of a fan of beginner boxes and especially being a fan of 5th edition, I think it's a good move marketing-wise. I'd be interested to see again what the value is, if it's color maps or tokens, that kind of thing. But but I'm going to buy it pretty much no matter what, as long as it doesn't come with a turd sandwich on the inside. And even then, I might still buy it and just not open it. Yeah. All right, so then moving on to the other side, what do you guys think about a $50 price point for a player's handbook? Assuming one way that you're looking at three core books, so you're looking at a $150 investment, or do you think this might be maybe a misrepresentation and that it's more going to be like a Numenera or a 13th Age where the first book is sort of all the rules together and that's really all you need to start? And then the additional books will just expand on that. Again, 13th Age is a great example. It's, I think that core book retails for 44 something, 44.95, but it's all that you need to start playing the game. You don't actually have to have any other books. So we'll start on the first side. Assuming that it's $50 and you're expected to buy three books, is that is that a positive? Is it negative? Do you care? What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I mean, obviously, 
that's where buying the beginner's guide really is a is a buying point because that'll determine whether it's worth buying spending $150. Now, 50 bucks is a bit pricey. The only time I've ever spent $50 on a book is when it's had the GM's guide, the player's handbook, and the monster manual all included. But you know, this is brand new. Maybe, maybe it makes sense to do it this way. But uh, hmm, I don't know because the information they had on the play test seemed kind of lack. Like uh, you know, obviously they needed to expand on a lot of that information, and so to come out with three separate books. Seems to me like they're just going to take all that information from the pl- that you have from the play test, add what needs to be added, and then make that one big giant fifty dollar book. I'll, before I let Caleb go, I'll jump in there, but because I agree, I think fifty dollars for just a, for just a player's handbook, it, it definitely seems steep, and I think that would be a barrier to entry. But if you really look at value, you know, you go out and you buy Skyrim. I know it's a huge game. You know, people talk all about it for Xbox 360, PlayStation, whatever. It's like 50, 60 bucks for the brand new version, and some people will probably get 30 to 50 hours out of that game. Some of the really hardcore people will play it two or three times, might get 200, maybe 300 hours out of that game. But my D&D books, I have got hundreds, if not thousands of hours of use mm-hmm. out of those books. So if you really look at it from a value standpoint in the long run, $50 is nothing yeah. compared to well, what you're going to get. But it's still hard when you're throwing 50 bucks down on the yeah, but my book. When you buy Skyrim, you're getting the whole package. When you buy the player's handbook, there are, you know, I guess you could you could talk, say, well, the DM is more of an expansion pack, quote-unquote. But uh, it just seems to me like if I'm going to spend $50 on something, it would be everything I need to get going. And I guess it could be. I mean, because the D&D does a really good job of having their player's handbooks be pretty much the, the Bible for the, that system. And the you know and then all, every other book just expands on that experience. So um, actually, I think that's a good way to, to visualize that as a, as a business model for what next or fifth edition wants to do, is that you are buying the core stuff, and then you're going to have DLC, which are these adventures. Because mm-hmm. from everything they've said in their marketing, is they don't want to keep coming out every two weeks with a new class, a new race. They want to say, here's the core. And they're going to release adventures and modules and supplements that expand the universe but not necessarily add to rules and mechanics. Because I really think that's one of the things things I don't like about 3.5 that I know, Jared, you do like, is I think it got top-heavy that there were just too many classes and too many races, in, in my opinion. So I'm kind of excited about them doing it that way. So that's actually a good model to think of is that you're buying the game and then you're buying DLC after that. Well, yeah, but if you want that, then go to Pathfinder, go to 3.5, and get that. I mean, I mean, they don't make new books for it anymore. But if you want that experience, then you have those books there. If they just came out with the same thing, then all it would be is an expansion. It's got to be something new and fresh, and you know, something that you know you got to kind of take a leap there. So you know, it makes it makes sense. So. All right, what about you, Caleb? What do you think about a $50 price point for either a core book that has everything or a player's handbook and then separately looking at Monster's Manual DMG? Well, I think in the big picture, WotC knows that they can slap whatever price they want on it and we're going to buy it. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> or wait till it's uh, somebody scans it in and legally download it. <laughs> well, but, but someone that. has to buy it at some point. Mm-hmm. I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> yes. but no, I, mean, I, I would never do that, of course. But, but I mean, to your point, Caleb, I think I think there's definitely a large 
percentage of the population, gamer population, they absolutely you're right. They could put whatever price point they want, they'll buy it. But if their goal is to try to bring in new players because they've they've lost market share to Pathfinder and Paizo, then that seems backwards to me to put a barrier of entry on such a high price point. But anyway, right. what but, you were saying. But that could be why they are trying to hook people with a really cheap beginner's box, and maybe they would try to make that beginner's box more of a treasure chest of really, really good things to catch people's interest so that when they see the higher price point, they say, wow, you know what? Fifth edition really proved itself. I like it. Okay, I'll pony up the extra money. And, you know, this is something that a bunch of other podcasts and articles have said. It's probable, or it's possible anyway, that what was on Barnes & Nobles was an estimate. You know, they made a, it may have been just a prediction that, hey, this is coming out. Here's an estimate. And that's why it got yanked, you know, because it wasn't accurate. We don't know yet. Um, but, I mean, every every other gaming book is at least $40, if not 45 So slapping that $50 number on it really isn't that big a deal in my mind. Um, I think I have the feeling that it is going to be more of a comprehensive book than just a player's guide. From what they've been saying uh, way back when, when they said that Next was going to be broken down into segments, and it was going to be, okay, here's the core rules, and then if you want to buy the tactical combat segment, you buy that chunk, and that might be a cheaper book. If you want to buy the psionics section, if you want to buy the... Manual of the Planes to to jump through all these weird worlds. You buy that section. So, I, I think it's very likely that when they say player's handbook, that's going to be the book, the center of your shelf. And then there'll be smaller books, and those smaller books might be a a, a book that focuses on a GM, a book that focuses on extra monsters, books that focus on the supplementary stuff, extra magic, extra weapons. But, I mean, we're all just guessing at this point. Right. Kinda, we're all saying what we want to see, I think, out of the book in the big picture when we answer this question. Well, my prediction, this is what I think is going to happen, so you, you can go back and listen to this and tell me how stupid I was later, <laughs> is some of the more recent stuff that's come out about Next is what they they call apprentice levels. Caleb, you're probably familiar. I don't, Jared, I don't know if you've heard this, but basically the assumption is that the first two levels, I think two, maybe even three levels of your D&D character is sort of like an apprentice level. And they envision this where after the very first session of a game, you would go from first to second. The next session, you go to second to third. And then from that point, progression would slow down. And there are some decision points about your character that will be built into third level. That's where you're going to pick your domains. That's where you're going to pick your specialties. So that, one, is it, it helps with multi-classing, that you don't have people that will take one level cleric, one level wizard, one level fighter, and just be this crazy badass because they get all the cool stuff that everything gets at first level. You'd actually have to multi-class up until third, third, and third to get there and just kind of let people learn how the game works. So my, my vision is I think the beginner's box will be levels one, two, and three. It'll be a complete game probably a module designed to get you there, and then it'll stop, and basically it'll be like Back to the Future at the end, to be continued. If you want to take your character to the next level, 
the core book will be out August 2014. Go to your local game shop and buy it. And then I think that there will be one book that is a core book, just like Numenera, just like 13th Age. And like Caleb was saying, it's, it's a complete book that is not necessarily like a level cap, but it's the, it's the core. It's everything that you need to play. And then there will be those expansion books. Like you said, there'll be one that expands to more tactical minis games. There'll be another one that expands to um, you know different magic levels or different types of games. So that's my vision is I think you'll pay 50 bucks and I think you'll have the game, all you need to play. And then there'll be all these expansions and uh, DLC type content that comes out after. Well, that's the uh, the D and D Academy prophecy right there. That's right. Yeah. See what happens in six months. Yeah, we don't we don't have that long to wait. I think we'll find out something at Gen Con too. I think they'll probably have some kind of premiere pack going there, and uh, that that'll be their big unveil, maybe even. Well, the beginner yeah. box, if that if the dates are correct, then the beginner box will be out prior to Gen Con but the player's handbook would not be out until after. So I envision that at Gen Con you'll be able to buy like a Gen Con exclusive. You know, you can buy the core book there a week or two earlier than than the general release. Um, as I mentioned before, I was able to get a press badge for Gen Con this year. Go me. So whatever next or fifth edition news there is, I will be there front and center. Don't know that I'll have a chance to podcast it before it gets released to the general public, but you definitely, I'll have my thoughts and opinions as quickly as I can come Gen Con. Cool. Awesome. All right, so let's move into our second topic, and that's one of the reasons why Jared is with us tonight, is he's kind of our Roll20.net expert, and wow. um, this is something early, early on in the podcast. I mean, I'm talking within the first probably three or four months, we got a email, and I don't have the guy's name in front of me, I apologize, but uh, you probably know who you are if you're still listening. And you talked about Roll20 and said, you know, I'm, I'm part of this community. We're having trouble finding people that will DM for it. And he kind of asked me to get involved. And, and I started playing around with the site. And I thought it was kind of cool. But I wasn't convinced that a game over the Internet would work, at least not for me. I just I didn't see it happening. I'm a bit of an OCD, ADHD kind of guy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be checking my email the whole time. I'm going to be shopping Amazon. I'm not going to be paying attention. And I have... St- I've actually changed my opinion drastically because we now play in a game online that I'm having a fantastic time in and I look forward to playing, and it keeps my interest. So I've kind of come full circle on that. But I know I, sh- I had shown the site to you, Jared, because I think you re- you were either already kind of doing that or you were trying no, to... No, you were the one who introduced me to Roll20. Okay. So um, I mentioned it to you, and then, and then the next thing I know, you're like a, a guru on it. and you're Yeah, I got sucked into the world that is Roll20. I mean, I... I Pay for the highest paid prescription, the mentor prescription, and uh, prescription really got subscription. Into, uh, subscription. What did I say? Prescription. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I also had to get a prescription for some drugs because I'm on it so much. So, for for those of you who may not know what's going on, which I'm, I'm guessing most of you do, Roll Twenty is essentially it's a virtual tabletop, and it is a program. It's a web base that allows. Is there a limit to the number of people that you could have in one game, Jared, that you know? Uh, as far as I know, no, but I usually cut it off at five or six people because then it just gets too crazy. Um, that's usually that's a personal preference. I've seen games with, like, 15 people in them. I don't know why you would run, want to run a game with 15 people in it. No, I couldn't, I couldn't run a game with 15 people at an actual table, much less on the Internet. Yeah. Uh, but so you have a virtual tabletop. It kind of works like Google Hangouts in a way where the DM sets up a campaign or a game and then you either invite players, or I guess in some cases it can be open, and people fill up your slots, and then it's a way to share information. It has a built-in dice roller, so you can 
do that. It mm -hmm. also will show you stuff. So I'm just going to kind of like shut up and let you talk and just <laughs> talk about Roll20 and, and preach it to the brethren, the flock that have not yet heard the word. Okay, so, well, uh, just to the basics, uh, for those of you who don't know, Roll20 is um, obviously it's a virtual tabletop. Basically takes the place of your kitchen tabletop that you would be playing on. And, um, but, you know, it ha does have a lot of nice features and stuff, but uh, we'll get to that. For now, the big thing here is in today's world, especially as you get older and you get kids and stuff, uh, you don't really have a lot of time for gaming. Uh, you're driving to somebody's house, gas prices, all that. So this uh, basically allows you to game with all, you know, other passionate role players around the world in, a, in an area where it makes visually displaying things a lot easier, I guess, would be the, the biggest thing, is just visual, visually doing something as opposed to just describing it is a lot easier on here. And, you know, I'll get to that, but the big thing is, you know, I don't really, I don't know the exact per, uh, right place to start, so I'll just kind of jump into it. The cool features about uh, Roll20 are the the amount of options you have when playing a game. So basically what it is is it's uh, you have multiple pages you can set up. You can take any picture off of the internet or off of your computer anywhere and just drag it and, and drop it into Roll20 and you can make that, you can put it on a map layer and make it into a map with grids or if you, it's a something that already has grids you can put it on there and align it to the grid. It's really really slick how they allow you to do all that. You can scale it in, you know, feet, meters, squares, you know, anything. And, uh, you know, most people when they look at this and they, um, you know, they think it's all, well, it's just for the maps and stuff. But it's also, it's got a lot of macro. You could basically take your entire character sheet and throw it into Roll20 and at the push of a button roll your skills or your will saves or, you know, whatnot or your attacks or damage. And it just makes it also, it makes it a lot simpler for some people the cool thing is, is you know, me, I, I don't get to drive around and go out and role play as much as I used to. And, uh, you know, you get to come in at, you know, 9 o'clock at night and run a game on a Friday night. And, you know, sometimes six until 6 o'clock in the morning. And um, you're not going to be able to do that outside of this. And um, But uh, what, when you guys were playing, what were some of the things that you were finding restricting or that you liked or well for me because I, I think what we're doing right now we're actually playing over google hangouts but we're using the roll 20 plugin so i don't think it has the full set of features that the actual site has but like we can share maps uh, we can share uh, i don't because our combat is all theater of the mind even though we're using mm -hmm. system so we're not we're not using gridded grids and tokens on there. I know you, I guess you can do that, right? You could actually play grid combat where each player has their own token, the monsters have their tokens, and you can actually move them just like you would on a tabletop grid. Um, yeah, I think Caleb just shared some stuff or someone did. With I'm us. sharing my screen. Um, this is uh, my one of my games, they're fighting in the abyss, uh, the first layer of the abyss, covered in a big puddle of blood here. But you see each one of these people has their own tokens. I know people who are listening can't see this. But um, uh, within it, you can set uh, you can set your hit points and stuff. You know, anything that you set into your journal. The journal is a, is a cool feature. Um, you can add any, care, any PC, NPC, enemy, anything into this journal. When you click, you can click and drag them on here, like onto the grid as a token. 
and it'll have everything updated as it is in the journal. And like I said, you know, you've got uh, hit points, uh, anything, uh, character pictures, you can add abilities for your uh, for the roles, like your skills and stuff like that. And uh, what you do is when you click on your uh, person, a uh, box would appear at the top of your screen and it would say, you know, uh, hide check or whatever, and you just click on it and then it rolls it and uh, D20 right here and adds it. You can see some people have already done it on mine, but I'm, I know that you... Um, yeah, it's not, podcasting is not a visual medium. I see, yeah. what you, I see what you're saying, though. So so big um, picture, what do you think the the biggest benefit of Roll20 is? Is it just the fact that you can oh, play a game uh, without leaving your house? So if you have kids, wife, husband, boyfriend, the it's the the availability to jump into a game. You know, you could, like I said, you could just say, hey, I want to play right now. And whether it's an established group that you're already in, or you could just go on there and say, hey, I want to play a game and find someone that's running a game that will let you play? Is that, is that what you think okay. probably the biggest big infinite would be? So, biggest picture, and, um, uh, yeah, so starting off, big picture is um, the ability to say, I want to run a game, but I can't find, I can't get it to work with people I know around me's schedule. Well, if you, if you um, put your game in active state on Roll20, I uh, put my D&D game in there, and by the next day I had six people in my game people wanting to join and stuff. It's a very quick way to get a game going. And uh, you look on there, there's tons of games posted. It's just a quick and easy way to to just get gaming. And that's, you know, what we want to do. We want to get, we want to sit down, we want to game, and we want to, you know, have fun and do some role-playing. And this is, the, this is the quickest way that I've found to just get a game going. And, um, you know, and, and you get to play with a lot of unique people from a lot around the world, and um, you get to meet new people and just different personalities. Um, I have one guy in one of my games who draws up everything that's happening in the game and sends posts them to the forums. Uh, another cool thing is you can, they do have a forum for your uh, campaign, so you can do campaign summaries, you can, uh, anything you need to send to the group, their XP, anything, it's all there in one location. So you can have a private game if you want with invited mm -hmm. players, or you can do an open where you're just like, hey, I want to run 4th edition, who wants to join, and then you can just have anybody join in? Yeah, you can. Uh, there's a link to your game, and uh, you can send that out to anybody you want through their email or through Roll20, and they can join your game. and Or you can open it up to active, and people can request to join, but nobody can join your game until you click on the button to invite them to the campaign. So you have they have to be invited, but if you open it to the community, they can search it and say send you a message saying, hey, I'm interested, and then with a the click of a button, you can invite them to the campaign. So the other thing that I see as a, as a benefit is just, you know, with, with the Internet, is that you can find anything. You know, just like Reddit. Oh, gosh, I have no idea. There's a subreddit for everything. So if you're the kind of person that wants to play a Cthulhu-type game set in the 1930s, there's probably somebody on Roll20 who's doing that, and you could jump in. If you want to play a 4th edition game where everybody has to play female archers, there's probably a game on Roll20 where that's happening. Yes, and uh, actually there is a person running a 1920s game that was in one of my Star Wars games that he runs it on Tuesdays. Uh, so, yes, that's very possible. And, you know, what I do is I, anybody who joins my game, I just give them the electronic copies of the books and some of the generators that I use or whatever. There's also a good uh, character sheet website, uh, Mythweavers. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but a lot of people that play my games use that. 
and uh, it's basically online character sheets, and uh, I don't, I haven't used it myself, but uh, it's uh, it's pretty pretty solid uh, electronic uh, character sheets, and um, you know, send those all to the DM however uh, he wants, and then uh, the other thing is is when you're playing, uh, like you're going back to all the different rules and systems. There's you know you can set up the the because um, you can measure distances on the board. And you can set it up using the Pathfinder 3.5 rules, the you know uh, fourth edition rules, or whatever. They've got options so that when you're doing your square tabulation and whatnot, trying to calculate where you're going, it'll tell you distances based off of those rules, like you know for how diagon how they handle diagonals and stuff like that. And uh, so there's a lot of customization that way. And um, but yeah, the other the other thing the other big thing is the the amount of customization and, and just the the sheer amount of things you can do that you just can't do on a regular tabletop. Now, granted, sitting at a table with a bunch of buddies rolling hard dice doesn't get much better than that. But this is what I would say is probably the next best thing, and it would have to be because the one things that I always find myself thinking when I'm at the table and I'm like, damn it, I can I can do this in roll twenty, but I can't do this on the table, and that's your maps and stuff. You can take a picture from the internet, post it in there, make it a map. You can take any picture and make it your token, whereas when you're, I mean, and I know you don't do a lot of the grids and stuff on the tabletop, but when you're like me, and that's pretty much, you know, I still do that, you know, you got to find a token that matches your character and all these things, and it can be, you know, if you don't know somebody who has a lot of minis, it can be kind of annoying. But uh, this, this, you know, all you need is a picture here, and you can make it into a token. Anything, be a picture of a anything, and um, and you can set it to a grid, and um, and they've also got a lot of options in Roll Twenty. You can search for tokens, and uh, they've got a huge library of tokens, maps, uh, different like different things like tables and chairs and stuff you can throw on your maps. Anything, which also makes it really neat too. So, and then uh, the one cool thing. And uh, you know, I apologize if I'm rambling on here, but one cool thing is the dynamic lighting, which is a which is a feature you gain for being a subscriber, uh, either a mentor or the uh, or the either the five dollar or the ten dollar subscription. What's really cool about that is you can do something that you can't do on a tabletop, and that's basically put everybody in a dark room and give them a viewing space of light. And it's really something you just gotta see. It's really cool because uh, you can set up lines as your borders, and um, and then basically you can have lighting sources like torches that give off light. And uh, basically, it's like it gives you the feeling as if you're walking into a dark cavern, and you can only see how far the DM gives your token vision. And you can even make it to where it's a it's a, a view like a triangle type uh, view out as opposed to an entire radius view. You can do either or. And um, it's really adds a level of creepiness to um, like zombie games when you walk into a room and you walk five feet and you don't see anything but then you take that next step and all of a sudden you see six zombies in front of you. And it just adds an element you can't really add by just visually describing it. And it's just little things like that that are um, that make it a little bit uh, more unique. Again, it's not it's not gonna beat your around the table, you know. And they've got a nice little jukebox feature that uh, you know you can ha add some creepy music in the background, and everybody can adjust their volume accordingly. If you don't like it, you can turn it off. You can add some music to it, which adds a little feeling to the game. Just different things like that that um, 
that really make it cool. All right, I have a, a couple questions. I'll jump in here. So, so we talked big picture. Like the benefit would be that the ability to play when you may not be able to, and also the ability to find whatever game type that you want to play or run. So, the the other side of that, sort of the cons. I imagine just going back to my days playing internet poker. I would imagine that it's possible to get someone in your group that is just a complete fuck up. Or you could have people that play once and then just never show up again, which that happens in real life too, but you can at least call your buddy and be like, what the hell? So have you experienced any of that where people just acting immature or just not being reliable? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I, uh, in my endless rambling, I completely lost track of my agenda in the order I was trying to do things. But um, basically, yeah, in, in, a, in, there, in every single game I've been in, there's been that guy where he just rage quits, he um, he doesn't really pay, he doesn't care about other people's feelings, or he's just he's too young for the content. Uh, the funny thing about Roll Twenty is, is you never know who you're gonna get, obviously. And uh, there's been times when I've got I did it a, an entire zombie campaign. It's one of my most brutal graphic games ever. And we had a new guy in there, and it took place inside of a hustler. So there, you can imagine what weapons they were using. And um, and at the end of the session, uh, one of the guys came and he sent us a picture, and he was like, "Yeah, this is this is my." He was playing himself, and he was like, "This is my character looks like." And, I, and we were like, "How old are you?" And he was like, "I'm 13." And uh, we, you know, we all kind of laughed, but I felt like I scarred this kid because it was really brutal. And you know. I never would have been allowed to do anything like that when I was 13. So you got to kind of be cautious as to who you let in. You got to kind of do a little. You got to if, if if it's a mature game, you got to post on your thing. And if if you're expecting people to be there for a certain amount of time, you got to post that too. You got to make sure you ask the right questions. Now, are but, there any? Yeah, in the end, you never know who you're going to get. So. So are there any tools built in? Which I know you could always lie, but is there a way to filter out by like age, or do you just have to trust the if you say this is a mature game that only mature people, by that I mean age, not actually their actions, uh, are going to try to sign up for it? Well, if they're interested in your game, they'll send you a message saying, hey, I'm interested in your game. And then you can send a message back saying, well, this is what the content is. And then you've just got to trust that they, if they say, yes, I'm okay with this, or yes, I'm, you know, I meet whatever requirements you're asking for. That that they're being honest, and you know, I have I haven't had somebody that's lied to me yet that said that they're one way and then came in a different way. It's gotcha. just the only reason why they we've had any issues is because I wasn't asking enough questions, and you know, I didn't I never told anybody that it was mature content. I just assumed that everybody on Roll Twenty was old enough to deal with this sort of content until it happened, and then I was like, oh well, maybe I should uh, so. Let's go to some basics then. So we have somebody on the podcast who's listening who's not who's not tried Roll Twenty before. Where do they go? What do they do? You know, is it free to start? Like, wh- where does the money come in? What are the different levels, and what do they do for you? Yes, uh, you can do everything you need to do with a free uh, subscription. Basically, you know, you go to Roll20.net. You sign, you have to give them a username, and you you come up with your little username that you use that everybody will see in the game rooms and uh, you go you'll you'll go to the the main page and you'll go uh, to looking for group and basically they give you certain options you can do uh, some some GMs can say they don't want new players um, some will say they welcome new players um, that's one of the options uh, you look for a time 
And uh, the, the cool thing about Roll20 is any times on Roll20 will automatically be updated to whoever's viewing its time zone. So if I'm in Russia and I set my game time to 9 p.m. Eastern time, the guy in Russia is going to see whatever time it is in his time, not my time. So he'll know what time the game starts in his time. So you search for a game that is relatively close to the time that you're available. You can do uh, games that are played once, weekly, every other week, monthly. And you, or you could just do a search and just have a free-for-all, you know, or you can do any days of the week, languages. You can do, like, zombie as a keyword or whatever. All These are all options you can customize. You can do all or none, and then you'll hit search. And you'll uh, mentors uh, obviously get the first their games listed first. So that's one of the perks of pain is your game is listed nice bright yellow first above any of the non-paid. There's more uh, there's more people looking for games than are than are running games obviously. So you're gonna you're gonna be able to scroll through you know a bunch of games before and if you really put specific options, your games are gonna be limited to like you know even less. So that really doesn't make or break a game whether you have it you're shown first or not. But they'll see, when they search, they'll see a uh, general description of the game. They can click on it to see the full description. Uh, it'll say, you know, whether they welcome new players, what they're playing, the system, how many players are currently in the game, and how many open slots there are, and when the next game is. And these are just things you'll see as you're browsing through them, and then you can click on for more detail. So as a player, there's really no need to get a paid subscription, but as a DM... There would be exactly, yeah. Players do not really get that much of a benefit out of a subscription. If you, uh, the DMs should be the only ones that would really need the mentor subscription. But yeah, if you don't, you won't get the dynamic lighting as a DM and stuff like that. You won't get some of the extra tokens they give DMs. So then it would be in your benefit as a player to find a DM who is paid for a subscription because you're probably going to get the cool toys. That yeah. if, if I were to jump on there and run a game right now, it's going to be bare bones. I'm probably going to run it like a Google Hangout where you can all see see my face and hear my voice, and I might throw up just a generic D&D background logo for some ambiance, but I'm not going to do much more than that. Yeah, and if that's the type of game you're running, you don't really even need – you only need Roll20 for the, for the finding people because you don't need the maps. You don't need the grids. You might have a page up with all the pictures of the NPCs they encounter, so they have a – visual of what everybody looks like. That's what I do anyways. And, uh, you know, if you just need to visually show a picture of what, this, what like, you know, the, the forest looks like or something, even though we all know what a forest looks like, it uh, just stuff like that, you can just plop it up there and you can move the players to what page um, they need to be on and whatnot. So, right. But other than that, yeah, for your purposes, just if you visually just like to describe everything without pictures or anything, you really don't need... You know, all the, and plus they can also, there's a dice roller and everything on there. Right. So, again, those macros, like, again, I am not that computer literate, you know, so would I be able to go on there and those macros are already created for me, or would oh, I yeah. create When you those? first log on there in the chat log, they'll give you the basics on what macros you can use to roll, and if you read that, and, and their help guides are really well written, and, uh, you know, if you don't mind doing a little bit of reading, you can set up... You could easy, you could go into a game and just do you know type in macros on their help page and learn how to make a macro in five minutes, um, learning how to do your ability. So you could just play around with it. But now uh, I don't know if you're familiar with API, which is a little bit more advanced. It's like coding essentially. Uh, it's only available to mentors. But I don't know how to do coding myself. But for those of you who do, 
that's when you can really get creative with the Roll20. That's beyond my knowledge. I don't know how to do any of that. There's, you can get some from their forums where people have made them. Basically, with a click of a button, it puts everybody in initiative and rolls their initiative for them and does all this math and all these commands. And that's more advanced. Um, but for those who are listening who know API, who know coding and all that stuff, I mean, if you get a subscription, you could really get crazy. I mean, I've had people who have designed their entire campaign and the way it looks even what everybody's looking at in this really fancy way and how the windows were arranged and it, like there was like a scroll with their names and stats on it and stuff and like these are all things you can do with the API that's all above my knowledge so all right well that's I mean honestly I think you did a very good job selling the selling the site considering you paid them money and not the other way around uh, yeah. Caleb you've been pretty quiet let me run the conversation do you have any questions or comments uh, for Jared or just in general about roll 20 uh, yeah a couple things um, the subscription is monthly right yes I think they have an option where you can make it yearly I don't remember off the top of my head but in general the subscription is just kicking you into the better features and the extra tools yes and they'll tell you exactly they'll have they have a if, when you when you go to the where you would pay, they have a rundown of everything you get with the uh, the mentor or the uh, I'm actually going to pay right now so I can tell you now um, um, the roll 20 plugin for Google plus hangouts do you have experience using that one versus what's actually on their website I uh, I did use that uh, when I first started because you can launch the game in Google Hangouts and, and the plug the problem I had as a DM with the plugin is you have limited window space um, right. and everything seems cramped and I didn't like that um, you can get you can eliminate the pictures at the bottom of the screen and everything but you're still dealing with very limited space I always tell everybody Google Hangouts separate and then open Roll Twenty in a separate window so you have the big you get to use utilize the the most uh, with your screen. So. Do you know if the plugin itself has a stripped down suite of tools so you can't do as much with it? No, it's exact. It's the same thing. It's it's Roll20, but it's just opened in Google Hangout window. Gotcha. It's so it's just loading it into it, but yes. then you're running within the restrictions of what's on your Google screen. Yeah, you just don't have to leave the Google Hangout window. You can click in between the different things. Gotcha. In general, since when you're on Roll20, you are streaming your chat, how... Uh, you can turn that off. That's uh, if you go to the options, uh, um, if you go to your, your furthermost option, little picture of a gear, you click on that, and that's where all your macros and stuff are. Uh, you, can, uh, you can change your name in Roll20. You can change the icons, how big or small they are. You can change, um, like... Because if you're doing a Google Hangouts, obviously you don't want it to be running in Roll20. You'll get an echo, so you turn those. You can turn those off. I don't. I don't use them. Every time I've used Roll20's video and chat, I've had issues. So I just said, screw it. I'm done with it. So I always just turn it off. And then once you turn it off, it's off until you turn it back on. That's what I was going to say. How is the streaming quality? But you already answered that. It's question. terrible. Uh, well, at least in my experiences, I don't want to speak because I know a lot of people use it and they don't have any complaints. But in my experience, it's terrible. Google Hangouts, Skype, much better. But the other thing I didn't mention is the uh, for those of you who have iPads, you can use your iPads for Roll20 as well if you are a supporter or a mentor. But um, uh, to answer your question before, it is a uh, it is, you can do either a monthly or a yearly. Hmm. So, 
Does, do you know if it's its own app for the iPad or it's just it's, it's basically loading it. You go to the web page on your on your iPad or whatever, and it's just like loading it on your computer. So it's just formatted properly to use. Yeah, on you tablet. just can't do that if you don't have a paid description. It just won't. Right. Let, it won't work. All right, that's that's a very good benefit of actually paying for it. Yeah. Um, and there's there's other benefits. I know I'm I'm gonna miss something. I'm gonna remember it afterwards. It's gonna drive me crazy. But um, the uh, I mean, there's just a small thing. Oh, there's no advertisements. That's the other thing. Is when you're loading the game, it's gonna give you some advertisements and stuff if you're on if you're not paying for it. Um, if you pay for it, it loads quicker and there's no advertisements for you or the people in your game. And, oh, and you get uh, more upload storage. Like when you start plugging in all these pictures, it can start taking up a lot of, you know, memory storage on their servers. Mentors get 2,000 megabytes a game or up to 10 megabytes per asset, whereas the base is 100 megabytes or 5 megabytes per asset. So, Have you in the past played any of uh, the play-by-post style games on other forums? Um, and that's where you're just basically chatting on a text you're typing, or yeah, basically everyone's um, on a forum screen, and then I hit my reply to the group or one specific person that just posts. Well, it's funny. Of text. Yeah, well, that's funny because in my Star Wars game, we have a lot of it's an evil campaign, and there's a lot of people that uh, like have secrets that they're doing, and you can private text the DM, and DM can private text people, and that's basically what we had one session where that's all we were doing was just texting each other. But yeah, you can you can do that on here. I've never really, you know, kind of went that direction. I've done it once, and it just wasn't the same experience. But so you really, you're getting the the benefit of the social interaction aspect and real time aspect when you're using this service. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, you get the same. I mean, for me, it's the same as, as being around the table with friends as far as that aspect is. I mean, you're having a good time, you're laughing, you're joking. And, you know, with, with the, the way, you know, technology is these days, there's no, there's minimal lag. And uh, even when you've got five or six people in a party, there, there's minimal lag as long as everybody's got a decent internet connection, and it's it's just like being around the table. Obviously, it's not exactly like being around the table, but, but yeah, I've, I've met some really interesting people. I've met some really good role players. I've met some people who are really good artists, and I've uh, sent a lot of good pictures in for stuff. Um, it's just uh, I've met I've also met a lot of shitty people to be honest with you, but uh, it's uh, it's addicting for me anyways because I get to sit here on my chair. And uh, I don't have to leave. When I'm done, I close my computer and go to bed. I don't have to drive home. I don't have to, you know, worry about any of that stuff. So basically, I'm just extremely lazy. (laughs) Actually, that's one of the big reasons why I like to host games at my house, too, is that when we're done, everyone leaves and I'm I'm home. (laughs) Like, like I don't have to drive. I don't have to worry about that. I'll clean up tomorrow. You know, I just basically shut the basement door and I can be asleep in 10 minutes if I need to be. Because I also wonder if anybody has used Roll20 as a way just to find a group in real life. Like they've just said, hey, I'm running a game, but by the way, I live in you know, I live in Cincinnati and use it as a way to find a, a, an in, in real life group as well. I wonder if there's like a 
forum or section well, for that. Maybe. I mean, and, and it's getting more and more popular every time I get on this thing. Well, I, I don't so. know the guy's names, but I was reading that I guess there's two people in particular who pretty much run it or founded it, and this is their job now. Like, they they have got the Roll20 to a point where this is all they do, where before it was mm-hmm. like a hobby. So it's obviously making enough money to support them, you know, to the point that they felt that that's all they want to do. So good for them. I mean, God, isn't that that's kind of the dream, particularly, you know, for us yeah. role-player nerds. I'd love to be able to run games for a living. That's that's just what I do is be a DM for hire. Jesus, if yeah. I could if I could find a way to make money on that, done and done. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's the, the only the only issue I've gotten into is I tend to I got I, I over DM. Like I, I have three games running now. Two of them are the exact same game, just different groups. But uh, it's very easy to just be like, oh I want to run a game and you put it on there and then you've got five or six people in your game and then you've got a game going now. I mean, it's just very, like, you can just, anything. I mean, you can just, if you just wanted to run this one system that, you know, whatever, um, even if it's a one-time thing, you could just easily just, I mean, you don't even have to pick up the phone to call your friends. You could just go on here and you'll find people. Yeah, like I said, I I've initially was very skeptical about the uh, viability of this, but I've drastically changed my mind. And even, I don't use the cool features, but I just... Being able to interact over the internet and Google Hangouts has convinced me that it's certainly doable. So, any, any last words about Roll Twenty? I think we've hit it pretty pretty hard. But um, well, I've only, it sounds like you're a fan. To be honest, I've only even scratched the surface. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. But um, you know, I would encourage you to go on the website, check out the wiki, the help and documents. Just just it's free. Sign up, play around with it. They have an introduction video, and just you know. Join somebody's game and just see how it goes. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.